God has always structured his relationship with mankind like this. God makes promises and gives instructions. Our part is to believe his promises and follow his instructions. My primary objective with this podcast is to explore this vital principle with the goal of helping all of us toward a closer walk with God. Your input whether it's questions, comments, or corrections, is welcome. You can email me at james at believeandfollow.org. This week's episode includes a somewhat random discussion that covers a number of topics. Now you might ask, why do I post such a discussion? Shouldn't each episode be an exhaustive treatment of a single topic? This is often the case, as those who are regular listeners to the podcast can testify. But look at Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 through 7. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children, and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, and when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise. The culture that God is looking for is one where everyone has on the tips of their tongues God's word. We should all want to be talking about it, and it should be as commonplace as discussing the latest in sports, politics, or entertainment. Of course, this is for the most part not so. If I were having a casual discussion with the average Joe on the street and I used a question like, how many times did Jesus overturn the tables of the money changers in the temple as a conversation starter, that's probably where the conversation would end. So I make the effort to be in the company of those who would be eager to entertain such a discussion as often as I can. So did you guys have anything you wanted to chat about? Well, I had a question. Ah! Um, because in the beginning of Matthew, um, you have Jesus going into the temple and driving the, the people out of the temple. That's the beginning of Matthew. Right. But then in the other Gospels, you have it later on. So I was wondering, did you do it twice or did you just do it? Did you do it twice or did you do it once? There are two things. Number one, not all the Gospel writers put everything in strict chronological order. Right, right, right. Right. The, the, other, the other Gospels did it after, uh, you know, after Palm Sunday. 
you know, after he, you know, they were his triumphant entry into the city. And the last and, year of yeah, his, right? Right, just before his, um, just before, he, just before their, their arrest, you know, the last step in the, in the arrest. Right. So Matthew, I think they did it early. Where is it Matthew? You know, he could have done it more than once. Yeah. Because sometimes that's the answer with other things. Just because in one gospel you have a certain parable or a certain story being related and related it a little bit differently in another gospel, well, that might be a different time he's saying it. I see, I see it in Matthew 21. That's way late, though. Yeah, that, yeah. that must have in Matthew. In one of the gospels, he did it before. Go to John 2. Oh, maybe, maybe that's what you're talking about. John 2, 13. That's the earliest one, I think. Oh, so John did it. Yeah, so the Passover, the Jews was at hand, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. In the beginning of John 2, you're definitely at the very beginning. The it's wedding at Cana is like... His first miracle. Right, it was his first miracle. So. And then he immediately goes to cleansing the temple. So... That's a good question. Did he do it more than once? It should be more than once at least one of the Gospels, but I guess not. Yeah, not necessarily, because it's like, John is like, yeah, I already did a cleansing of the temple, so I don't have to do two of them. Let's ask Google. How many times did Jesus cleanse the temple? So this guy concludes that he did it more than once. Jesus' first cleansing of the temple is described in John 2, 11 and 12, as having occurred just after Jesus' first miracle. The second cleansing of the temple occurred after Jesus' triumphal entry. So this guy concludes that there was more than one. Which makes sense, because it does seem... So the public ministry was three years, so that means he did it in the first and the third years, more than likely? Yeah, or okay. oh, maybe he did it each year, each time he went up. Maybe he did it three times. I don't know. But it doesn't say, and it doesn't even necessarily say that he did it more than once. I don't have a problem with him cleansing the temple more than once. No, I, 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 I was just wondering, you know, having read that... See, it's yeah, in... Most people, I guess most people would say he did it twice. But I, but I don't know. I mean, I, that's why I'm asking. I mean, I, yeah, I... Not that it really matters. No, it doesn't really matter. But it does appear, I mean, the conclusion that this guy makes because of the placing of it in the Gospel of John, in John chapter 2, that this is like the first year of his ministry. And the one that we see in Matthew 21 is definitely the last year. So... If... Just uh, from the accounts in Matthew and Mark, it looks like he did it twice, and I'll tell you why I think so. Oh, good. I'm sorry. Okay. In Matthew 12, or 21, 12, it's, uh, so it says he went to the temple and drove out those who sold, right? The next story says, um, or he says, and leaving, leaving there, he went to the city of Bethany, lodged there. Then in the morning, that next morning, he cursed the fig tree, all right? Right. Then if you go to the Mark account of it... Mark 11, it says, um, they came to Jerusalem, he entered the temple and began to drive those out who sold, but the story before that was, he he came from Bethany and then cursed a fig tree. So it looks like he did it one day, went to Bethany, cursed a fig tree on the next morning, then did it the next day again. 
But this bit I've heard before where in that last year he did it more than once. So maybe maybe every time he went up to the temple in his uh, his adult life he drove Matt because it's not like the money changers were doing something that was disconnected from the temple worship. Because there were these rules that if you committed a certain sin you would have to sacrifice a, a bull or a goat or something like that. But if you didn't have enough money for that, you could sacrifice a dog. Right? Well, so if you were coming from a far off place and you were coming to Jerusalem to do your sacrifice, what seemed to have sprung up is that there were these people who were selling doves and the things that you need to make your sacrifice. It was a business then, so it kind of turned into a business. Yeah, but of course, uh, I think in the, in the law, it says if you lived in a far, you know, a faraway place, you could, you know, sell whatever you got, get money for it, and buy the thing you got to Jerusalem. Right. That was in the law. Right. And there's no prohibition against actually buying the thing, but I guess Jesus... I, I objected to just the, the whole. Right, right, right. But I don't think he did quite the I think that, that what happened is these stories, um, they're, they're, they're a different order in the Northern Gospel. Exactly. So maybe the, the cursing of the fig tree um, was, I mean, it could have been either before or after. Yeah, it could have been. It right. Either before or after. So one Gospel they put it before and one Gospel they put it after. Right. But, but if you look at the, um, but and know, like the I various said, stories, and they're not, they're, they're, um, the various stories are in different order in, in, in all the gospels. Right, and sometimes the explanation so that's why is I, that's why I would think that, that he only did it once because of the fact that the stories are, uh, you know, they're they're not in the same order in all. And you know, the, the, each gospel has it has all the stories in different orders. Yeah. So therefore, the cleansing of the temple story could be in, in one gospel early and the other three gospels late. Or I mean. It, I mean, right. They were not. That, that's why. That's why I'm, I'm thinking that even though uh, a lot of people think he did it twice, that he might have only done it once. But then he, and then he, he could have done it twice, but he could have done it three times. Right. So we don't know. Right. We don't know. They were not so concerned with laying things out in a chronological order because sometimes right. they lump things together topically. Right. And, and also, some, maybe some of the things that he said, he said it different times in different places. Right, exactly. And he could have said them more than once. Sure. He could have told the same parable a bunch of times. Right, right. He could have taught them to pray a couple right. of times. Right. But that, there's only in two Gospels that he taught them to pray. But, I mean... But I guess each gospel writer decided, you know, what, would, what, he, what he would put in his gospel. Yeah, how they were going to organize it. Because the purpose, John stated his purpose. Does anybody know where that is? Is it in the end? It's close to the end, right? Actually, he, he makes a similar statement twice. Yeah, there we go. John chapter 20, verse 30. Hey, I remembered it right. Because I was thinking, John 20, 30, isn't it? Now, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. So that's the purpose of the book, of John's Gospel. So chronology is not necessarily the top thing on his mind. Now Luke says, in the beginning of his Gospel, 
Luke chapter 1, verse 1. Inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us. Because remember, Luke was not an apostle. Right? Luke came on the scene a little bit later. You know, we see in the book of Acts. It seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, that you may have certainty concerning the things you have been taught. He says, I'm going to write you an orderly account, and he does say that some have undertaken to compile a narrative, and narrative seems to imply a chronological but still, basically, he wants to put things in an order, and who knows what kind of an order he would put them in. Now, Luke's habit in the book of Acts, Acts is pretty much chronological. It begins with them in Jerusalem at Christ's ascension, and just follows the events in Jerusalem, and then follows the missionary journeys of Paul. You know, first Peter going to see Cornelius, and then after... Peter does the Cornelius thing, then the, the, the focus of Acts switches to Paul's missionary journeys, and that's pretty much the rest of the book. But it's pretty much in chronological order, and it's actually helpful to understand certain things if you view Acts as chronological. But there are many Old Testament, and, and we've already discussed this before, there are many Old Testament books that are not exactly chronological. And there are some times where the same events are reported twice, the two creation accounts. You know, it does not mean that Genesis 2 happened right after Genesis 1. So, but that's a good question. Often people refer to it as the cleansing of the temple. So the people who at least refer to it that way, at least their thinking was the only thing. But who knows? Who knows? We don't, it doesn't specifically say. And there's no reason to think that there would be a problem in the Oh, one other thing I was thinking about in connection with the two genealogies, and that is that uh, Mary was a was a woman of Elizabeth. So it would seem that it's at least possible that she's got some ties to the tribe of Levi. Yeah, at least somewhere in her family. They could have been cousins or something like that. Because we did this before. Right, right, right. But the fact that it, it I mean, uh, Zacharias and Elizabeth were definitely in the tribe of Levi. They were definitely in the tribe of Levi. Yes. But then when it comes to Mary, uh, it, I think um, that the gospel writer chose not to say from what tribe she was. I think, I think it, uh, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's on purpose. It's almost on purpose. And then, um, and then when, when the angel speaks to Mary, um, he speaks about Jesus as being the son of David, but he doesn't necessarily say that uh, it's because, you know, because you're the son of David, that he's the son of David. It doesn't, it doesn't make, it right. doesn't make any, any sort of connection. Right. It just, just points out that he was a virgin. That's the only thing, the only thing that, that it does. Clearly, the gospel writers understood him to be from the tribe of Judah, and Joseph's lineage is through the tribe of Judah, for sure. Both genealogies come from the tribe of Judah. 
Judah. Of Judah, right. right. And like I said before, I don't think that one is Mary and one is Joseph. I just think that they skip different generations. Yeah. Same genealogy, they just skip generations, because you know they often did yeah. skip generations. Yeah, and it's possible that... Um, yeah. That he had more than uh, two, maybe there were more than two sons of David that were, you know, that were his ancestors. Because I mean, yeah, apparently uh, Nathan was and Solomon was, but uh, David had many sons. But I think the idea is it has to be through the kingly line. Right, right. But so but it could have, after it could David, there's that thread of his offspring that is the succession of the kings and that's what you have to trace Christ's genealogy through in order for him to sit on David's throne. Yeah, but as I said, I, I think that it's possible that he could have been a, uh, he could have ascended from more than two of David's sons. Yeah, I mean, it's possible. We don't, have, we don't have everything in the Bible. We only have certain And things. they did a lot of intermarrying in the right. same tribe. Right. Right. You know, the family trees were often more like a bramble bush. Yeah. In fact, the writer to the Hebrews specifically makes the point that Christ was not from the tribe of Levi. Right? Because if Jesus was to be a great high priest over us, then that would mean a changing of the priesthood. It's no longer the Levitical priesthood now. Yeah, but so. he could also have, but he could have descended also to that tribe also. There's nothing to, to yeah. stop. Jesus was from the tribe of Judah and not from the tribe of Levi. And actually, his priestly succession traces through Melchizedek. You know who Melchizedek is? The king priest for Abraham, right? Right, of Salem, which was Jerusalem was later built on the same site. And we hear nothing about his genealogy. We have nothing about where he came from or where he went to. So it's like, as far as the Bible account is, he's a priest forever, and that's the kind of priest that Jesus is. A priest forever, like Melchizedek. Melchizedek also not a Jew. <laughs> Other questions, comments, concerns, thoughts? So, God created everything, right? Yes. Like, before before he created things, there was nothing. There was no history. As, I guess as far as we're concerned, there was no history. There were no such things as kings. There was no lineage. There was no saving. Nothing like that. None of these ideas were... Well, the, as far as we under, we know, as far as we know it, right? There's no history. There's not even visible matter. Yeah, right. I mean, as far as we know, or at least as far as he's told us, there was, no, there was nothing physical. There was nothing physical. Nothing physical. But the physical world was created when, in the beginning, that's God when the physical world was created. God created the heavens and the earth. And when God existed prior to that, and you also get the idea that other spiritual beings also exist. God refers to himself in the plural. And people who are Trinitarians will say that must be Father, Son, and the Spirit. But you know, it could have been more, too. The us could have been, who knows? Anyway, but I'm getting off your question, because let's, let's hear it. Um, I can extrapolate wildly. What's your question? So, then, why would God set up a system 
where these specific things have to happen. Like, for instance, you said that Jesus had to come through the kingly lineage from David in order to, you know, meet this requirement. And why would that even matter at all? Like, other than other than it being a prophecy, okay? But, you know, why, why did... It just, it doesn't... It, it's kind of uh, crazy in my mind sometimes, just thinking about, like, why did he have to set it up like the system that, that he's told us about? Like, the fact that, you know, we sin. He knew that he, we were going to sin. Right. You know? And then he had he already had a plan in place for that. Like, why did he have to do it that way? Why... I don't know. Well, he, he, had kind of, he, kind of <laughs> he had to do it some way. Yeah, he had to do it some, some way. way. But, well, maybe he just picked up. Maybe he just picked that way. Um, right, he threw a dart. Okay. No. <laughs> I mean, I don't think it kind of feels like there are three answers. One is, I think we won't know until we get to heaven exactly why it had to be this way. But the second thing is. Whenever it says something like Jesus did such and such a thing and it fulfilled prophecy, the reason why that's important is to show that Jesus is the one that God set up. So the whole prophecy thing is we focus on Jesus. Just like you had all the peoples of the world, whatever the populations of the world, and people growing up in different areas at the time of Abraham. Who knows what the world population was? But there were people all over the world in different areas. But God is wanting you to focus on, he's wanting to bring your attention to Jesus Christ. So he focuses you on a specific people and a specific line through those people, once again, to focus you on Jesus Christ. Because God knows there are lots of people who are going to claim to have some kind of spiritual wisdom and you should listen to them. God uses his methods so that we understand that Christ is the one that we should be paying our attention to. Now, to be true to your question, why did God make it so we had to pay attention to Christ? Just maybe that was the point. I mean, because he he does after um, Noah, he does give three three separate genealogies. One of one of um, one of Ham, one of Sam, and one of Jacob. Right. Yeah. So he gives three different um, genealogies. Right. Um, but then he focuses in on and he abandons them so what is he telling you it's like okay so we got these three different threads and he follows all three of them for a little while and then then he goes back and says well this is the one this is Shem this is the one the one from Shem is the one yeah and why would you do that unless you're saying well you've got various threads but the thread that we want to focus on is Shem and then as Shem's line branches off the different things is you're focusing on one particular line of the descendants of Shem. Right, yeah. and that's the Abraham. Yeah. And then, and then after Abraham, it's uh, Isaac as opposed to Israel. Right. And then it's uh, Jacob as opposed to Esau. Right. Jacob I love, but he's Esau I hated. Right. Yeah. Both of them, Isaac and Jacob, were not technically the firstborn of their fathers. Right. And that's God making a point that my reckoning 
is not according to the flesh. If it was, then it would be the firstborn. You know, the lineage would be. And, yeah. So anyway, continue your point. Yeah. yeah and then in that case, um, well, I don't know. Um, yeah. And then after that, it it's through um, it's through Judah, right? As opposed to jo- as opposed to uh, Joseph. Joseph. Was a, Joseph was the favorite son of, 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 of Jacob. Israel, right? Jacob slash Israel, right? Joseph yeah. was the favorite son, which and, and he and he seemed to be the most of all the sons. He seemed to be the most um, spiritual of the of the sons. He was more spiritual than, than certainly more spiritual than Judah. Joseph. Yeah, Joseph was. Yeah. Because Judah had that thing with um, with Tamar. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, where um, where he, he wanted to go into a prostitute, and so Tamar pretended to be the prostitute so that the line would go that way. <laughs> so he didn't seem to be that, that spiritual. Well, yeah, but once again... God chooses who he chooses. Right, he right. doesn't necessarily choose somebody because they're the most spiritual choice. Right. He chooses for whatever reason he chooses. Right, right. And that's an important point. Even though the first king was in the tribe of Joseph, was in the descendant of Joseph Saul. He was a Benjamite. He was from the from the tribe of Benjamin. Oh, oh, Benjamin? Oh, so it was Joseph. Well, it was from Rachel, as opposed to Leah. Uh, I guess that's the point I was trying to make. Oh, right. Rachel's, 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 Rachel's two sons. Rachel were, was the favorite wife. The favorite wife. Right. And so the first king of Israel was from the favorite wife. Right. But then the, the ultimate one was from the least favorite wife, the, the lesser favorite wife. Cause, right. Because she had six sons. Leah uh, had six sons. Right, so, and there may be a lesson in that, but God does not judge on the surface or how you would assume things would go. Right. But in that, he often does things in a way that's a little bit different from the way you think that they would go. Good. Just like when Samuel came to Jesse's house right, yeah. to pick who the next king is going to be to anoint the next king and Jesse pulled out every single son all his sons and says no it's not the one you got to have another one hiding somewhere and they didn't even think that David David was probably the youngest yeah he was the youngest and they weren't even thinking that he would be the one and it turned out he was and then God says don't don't judge by appearances don't judge by what's on the surface so God goes by the, what's in the heart right Right. So why did God do it the way he did? I mean, I realize there's not a good answer that we'll probably figure out, but it's just... Why? It's sometimes confounding to me. If you're God, why create anybody? Because it seems like creating people is just a headache. (laughs) I don't know. I get the impression that he created everybody because of the um, thing of um, of Lucifer. You know, Lucifer rebelled. Failure of Lucifer. And then as we... And after that was when he created... um, Mankind, and uh, in fact, I, I think I heard a sermon. You don't know that for sure, because there's nothing in the Bible about Satan and his angels' rebellion, as far as time's concerned. It happened. So, yeah, it could have happened. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And during that period of time, and time, 
I'm making air quotes here. Time is a relative thing, so who knows? So we have plenty of time for the rebellion of Satan to happen, even maybe even before mankind came on the scene. We don't know. But it could have been before God created the heavens and the earth. Yeah, it could have been before. Because, um, and that's what I often thought. Because Satan was, you know? Satan was a spiritual being. Yes. Not a physical being. Not a physical yeah. being. He's a spiritual being. So the spiritual, so he, he kind of created all the spiritual beings before he created the heavens and the earth. Or maybe he created some of the spiritual beings after. I don't know. Yeah. He, yeah. I mean, it was, he's God. He can do whatever he, he wants. He can do whatever he wants. <laughs> so, but the point for us is let's not base any teachings on inferences that aren't sound. Right. So we don't know. We just know. The thing that we know about Satan is that he rebelled. Right. Satan did not keep his assigned position. His right. position of authority right. is the way Jew... Could it be that the, the mankind... I mean, is there a possibility that mankind was created to be in some way replace Lucifer? I, as well, far as um, worship is concerned. The writer to the Hebrews seems to indicate otherwise. And maybe that was Lucifer's problem. Let me explain. To what of the angels did God ever say, you are my son today? You know, the idea that Christ is better than the angels, but not only is Christ better than the angels, but mankind has a higher position than the angels. Hebrews chapter 1 verse 13 And which of the angels has he ever said Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies A footstool for your feet Are they not all Ministering spirits sent out To serve for the sake Of those who are to inherit salvation So the idea here Is that angels Are servants even of Mankind What does Jude say about angels Are more powerful than us so they're more powerful, but they're servants. So check this out. We're going to go back to the picture that I started to draw. God at the top, and then he creates his creation, puts man in charge of the creation, right? Now, man sins, and he he loses his position. He, he gets brought down a little bit. He still has some dominion, right? And he has Satan now co-reigning with him over this creation. Christ comes to restore what was lost in the garden, which is to put mankind back up at that high point, which is where Christ is, where with Christ, at the right hand of the Father. Who is between anybody and their right hand man? Nobody. There are no angels between God and his right hand man. That's what Hebrews is saying here. So there is God... Christ at his right hand, and all those who are with Christ, and the angels, as far as the hierarchy, are below them, even though the angels are more powerful beings. So that might be the divine order that Satan was objecting to. Oh yeah, God, you're going to make me servant to those human beings? I'll show you what I can do to them. And then he, then, then he does it. And sure enough, he gets elevated up to a higher point and doesn't get knocked back down again until... We see it in terms of time, but it's certainly not true. But Jesus restored the divine order where Satan is now bound and kept in dark dungeons for that final judgment because nobody gets judged until... 
Judgment Day, which for us is in a place in time, even though for God, not so. But I get the, I, I get the impression that Satan rebelled because he wanted God's position, not not because. Well, he wanted yeah. God's position. Uh, so in other words, it, it had nothing to do. It really had nothing to do with man. Well, maybe yes, maybe no. But the point is, he didn't want to keep his position. Right. To man, to us, from our vantage point, he wanted to put himself in a position that was above God. Because, no, was, oh yeah, above God. Because yeah, above Satan God, not said, "Obey me," and not that God fell. Yeah. Yeah, but he wanted a position higher than God. Right, higher than God. Right, and so, from our vantage point, higher than God. Yes. Or maybe even from his vantage point, so. because because uh, so. I mean, yeah. before before uh, man before the before the world was created, um, he, he could have wanted that position. Yeah, yeah, absolutely true. And it could have all happened because, before creation. Yeah, it could have been because of that that they got the end of the physical universe and man and put him in that higher position. Maybe I just have a hard time with thinking that creation is a response to evil. Because when God created it all, it was all very good. Yeah. And of course, yeah, God, God knew. God like, always has response to evil. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. so that that could have been that could have been a response to evil also. Yeah, could be. I can't argue with that line because Scripture doesn't tell us. Yeah. So, you know, all we can say is that Satan didn't want to keep his rightful place. He wanted a position higher. He wanted God's position. Whatever position God had, Satan wanted. Right. Never listened to one. Right. But Jeremy makes a good point. So God knew all this was going to happen. So why did He set it that way in the first place? So, but here's another answer to that. Why did He listen to in the first place? We knew He never would go. He knew He never would go. Or exactly. I mean. Yeah. Well, why do you bother? But here, here's the thing, though. If you're going to have people that love you and obey you, they kind of have to be contrasted with people that don't don't love you and don't obey you. Because what does God want from us? He wants us to believe His promise and follow His instructions. He wants us to love Him, right? If you love me, you'll obey my commandments. Yeah, but He wanted all the angels to love Him, and He wanted certain ones decided not to. He wants all the human beings to love Him, right. and most of the human beings don't. don't. But most of the angels do. So, only right, only took one third. Yeah, yeah. So the two thirds, two thirds went with God, and then one third didn't. Where do you get that one-third, two-third thing? Um, the dragon at the, in the Revelation. Oh, yeah, but that might be well, symbolic, I mean, but yeah. But, but, I mean, but, uh, I mean well, well, for whatever percentage it was, there was a certain percentage that went with God and a certain percentage that went against God. Right. But here's what that question smacks of. If I were God, I would have done things differently. Yeah. <laughs> I think I would have done a better job. And listen, God, here's where you went wrong. Listen to me. We'll do it my way. And of course, God wouldn't hear any of that. That's like Job, right? That's like Job. Hey, if God were here right now, I'd have a thing or two to tell him. Mm-hmm. You know? Where were you when I did this? Exactly. Where were you when I did that? Job had nothing to say. Because Job would be like, why did I have to suffer? Why? And hey, why did I not only have to suffer for the loss of my family and the loss of my wealth and my possessions and everything like that, but I also had to suffer having these three useless friends. <laughs> 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so that's a similar question. And God would say the same thing to you that he would say to Job. Yeah, He'd be like, like yeah, you really need to shut up. Yeah, so, something I, I kind of had to remind myself a lot is, like, uh, so Job, you know, by all counts, you know, before he was tempted by Satan, uh, he was an upstanding guy, right? I mean, really, God protected him because of God protected him. He found favor in God's eyes, right? And then, and then these things happen, and Job's like, you know. I, I thought I was a good person, you know, why would you test me like this, God? You know, why? I'm good, basically. Right. But when you compare, you know, no matter how good he was, it's a finite number, you know, it's a finite right. level. When you compare it to an infinitely, you know, yeah. everything God. Job still needed work because God was I got an issue with you. And God's still doing it to us. Yeah, even with us. The biggest reason why he did that to Job is to bless succeeding generations because we have the example of that to teach us. At the end, Job had it all put in light and momentary sufferings because in the end, he was going to pass away and if he stood firm to the end, which it appears like he did. So then after that, God's going to say, so it was okay, I did that, right? And it's like, yeah, of course it was okay. You know, that's the same thing because we didn't have any any trials and tribulations and whatever, uh, yeah. then how, yeah. how would our, our uh, allegiance to God be? And our allegiance to God is right. also tested. Right, exactly. And when God speaks to Job out of the storm, he doesn't start off with, sorry I had to afflict you, Job. He's not, is not an ounce of apologeticness to his approach. He's like, if I decide this is what's going to happen to you, this is what's going to happen, and it's right, because I'm God. So you got something to say? Now now's your chance. So we have thoughts like, wait a second now, couldn't have this been done a better way? Wasn't there a more efficient way of handling this whole creation business? God would be the same way to us as it would be to Job. Of course not. Who are you? Who, wait a second now. So the um, uh, the clay says to the potter, don't you want to make this vessel a little differently? <laughs> that's how God would react to those kind of thoughts. So on the one hand, I get it, because I've had those exact same thoughts. On the other hand, it does kind of like smack a little bit of like, oh, maybe God didn't do such a good job. Because if he had done a better job, maybe there wouldn't be all the suffering and pain and heartache in this world. I mean, I guess you have to do it that way in order to give people the choice of, do you want to follow God or do you want to follow yourself? Right. Because when Jesus came, that's what he did. What did he say to the people that he met that were interested in him? He said, come follow me. He also said, repent because the kingdom of heaven. When John the Baptist came and then Jesus came and echoing the same thing, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. That's a cold action. That's doing something. Well, stop whatever you're doing and come follow God. So you do have the choice. And they all made that choice. That's kind of what it's all about. 
Well, I questioned God at one point because uh, I said, why do you make me this way? Because here, I, have, I, I do something wrong and I got to come to you and ask for forgiveness. Well, I do something else wrong and I got to come ask for forgiveness. Well, I do something else wrong and I got to come here. And I got to keep on doing this. Why did you make me that way? Why, why couldn't I? Why, why can't at some point I just build your way and, 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 and not have and this? And no longer be a problem. And, yeah. <laughs> but that's not, that's not what he made me. Everybody has their cross that they have to bear. Everybody has their thorn in the flesh. Everybody has their thing that's a challenge to them. And it might be a challenge to them their entire life. In the end, God's going to judge whether or not you tried hard enough to not do the thing that, or things that he instructed us not to do. I don't know, not to... I, I don't know, because it, it seems to me that, that um, you know, I'm forever doing something wrong. Right. And, but once and, again, and it, God will judge. Every time I, I do something wrong, I still, every time I do it, I, I, have, the, I have the opportunity to say, God, I, I'm sorry I did that. And even though I know I'm going to do something else wrong, I, I, you know, I, and I, I can see that, you know, I, I mean... I, you can have his forgiveness. But the point is, in the end, it has to do with the condition of your heart. What did the Apostle Paul say in Romans chapter 5 where he says, where sin increased, grace increased all the more. Well, then we start off chapter 6 with saying, well, then what should we say about that then? Should we go on sinning so that there'll be even more grace? Hey, if my sin causes God's grace to be made manifest, then maybe I'll sin more. No, we should consider ourselves dead to the sin. So whatever the sin was, that after repenting, we now realize we shouldn't do. We should consider ourselves dead to it. So our objective should always be not to sin anymore. Even now, though that's our objective, it doesn't work. It doesn't seem to work. Out. It doesn't seem to work out that way. And that's why God will judge in the end. Like I can't judge. I can't say if I see you committing the same sin today that you were committing 50 years ago. If I knew you 50 years ago, right? And I might say. Like you're not trying hard enough to be faithful. Once again, it does. Who cares what? You, and, you, and and you can turn to me and say, Who cares what you think? <laughs> you, you're gonna have your own problems. Don't you be judging me? Because you want mercy. You don't want judgment. I completely get that. But God will judge me. But each have God. Point. With but, a log in the eye. Yeah, each, right, exactly. Each of, us, each of us has the log in the eye. So. Yeah, each of us has a log. But the, <laughs> but the point is, God will judge. Right. And there are many of these people that are a cautionary tale. Like Saul was rejected by God, King Saul. And he didn't appear to be any worse behaving a person than David. But David was a man after God's own heart. David was able to be forgiven by, by God. Saul was not. So that's a cautionary tale. You don't want to test God. You don't want to see, well, let's see how many times I can sin and God will forgive me. What if you went over the line just once? And now what happens to your eternal soul? You don't want to take that chance. You want to stay as far away from sin as you can. Once you decide to repent, be baptized, follow the apostles' teaching, then you want to stay away from the sins. That means if you're... There are two main sins, not loving God and not loving your neighbor. Those are the two main... Yeah, they're all, they're all derived out of that. That's correct. Yeah. They're all so, derived so out of that. The thing about it is, I mean, you're, you're trying to love your, 
be your neighbor, but then there are some of your neighbors that you just can't, <laughs> you yeah. just can't love. Yeah, that's also really Right, and sometimes you just gotta keep away from them. Yeah. Because if they're gonna inspire you to be hateful towards them, and maybe you've had a number of interactions with them in your life, oh, it always ends this way, then you stay as far away from them as you can. Let them be somebody else's responsibility who maybe is not going to, to be tempted to hate. But you have to take action. It's like if you're an alcoholic, there's no sin in walking into a bar. But if you're an alcoholic, maybe you're going to stay away from the bar. It's like that with any other sin. Paul covers that whole idea in Romans. Who's going to rescue me from this body of death? The thing that I want to do, I don't do good. But there's still a process and a progress that we're expected to make because there are some sins that you may commit and sometimes the consequences of the sins are much larger than you can imagine. So if you want to love other people, it's like David sinned with Bathsheba. And at the end, the end story, there was all this horrible stuff that happened. The baby died. And there was all this turmoil in his household and in the entire nation of Israel. People died. Absalom died. So yeah, he could say, wait a second now, what I did with this person behind closed doors, well, that's between me and them. And God will say, no, it's not. No, it's not. You violated my instruction, and you're going to be forgiven. But now look at all the carnage. How is he loving his son Absalom, who he really loved? How is he loving this unborn child? All these bad things are going to happen, which you have no idea. But then, but then the consensus they took after that was, uh, you know, God punished him for that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But the point is, you can't conceive of the consequences of your sin. So even if there's some sin and you're like, well, this is not such a big deal. <laughs> you don't know. It's just like... Even the, the, the stupid fruit of the tree, the knowledge of good and evil. You get the idea from that reading. They, they didn't have a clue of what the consequences were of what they did, but the consequences were used. David didn't have a clue of the consequences that God was going to pronounce on his sin with Bathsheba or any of the other sins that he did for that matter either. But the consequences of those sins are resonating even today. The cautionary tale is that, so whatever it is you do, if you realize something is a sin, do your very best to stay as far away from it as you can. Because if not, then you're not loving God because you're not obeying his instructions, one. And two, you're not loving your fellow man because you have no idea what the consequence is going to be on somebody else as a result of your sin that they had nothing to do with. Anyway, that's the end of the sermon. Back in Deuteronomy chapter 6, look at verses 1 through 3. Now this is the commandment, the statutes and the rules that the Lord, your God, commanded me to teach you, that you may do them in the land to which you are going over to possess it, that you may fear the Lord your God, you and your son and your son's son, by keeping all his statutes and his commandments which I command you all the days of your life and that your days may be long. Hear therefore, O Israel, and be careful to do them that it may go well with you and that you may multiply greatly as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has promised you in a land flowing with milk and honey. 
This is as true for us today as it was for the nation of Israel way back then. We have no way of knowing what the actual consequences are in this life for us and our loved ones if we ignore God's instruction. But God does tell us what the eternal consequences will be. Therefore, we should be careful to understand and follow God's instructions. This should be more important to us than the World Series or the latest antics of our elected officials. And so more of our everyday conversation should be about God. So if you see me walking down the street or on the subway, feel free to strike up a Bible conversation. Let's see if we can begin to bring our own behavior in line with God's instruction, and then hopefully influence others. If you have any questions, or even if you disagree with any of this, feel free to email me at james at believeandfollow.org. Till next time, goodbye and God bless. The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, yea, than much fine.